Welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa, and it is feeling slightly less 45 this week, but we're here, and we're happy to be here. Dustin, how are you doing? Hey, who are we firing? Who are we firing? <laughs> Maybe us. Maybe us. I mean, I think we got yeah. our spreads got beat by 55 points or something like that. You know what the problem was? We gave out too many flowers last episode, and there were no flowers left. Yeah, we, yeah, they're this week. Well, they're gone now. That's for sure. Nothing's blooming here any anytime soon. So, well, as much as we kind of tooted our own horn last week for some of our <laughs> correct predictions, we were way off on literally everything this week. I mean, I feel like a lot of people were, but <laughs> we were way wrong. So we definitely need to call that out since we uh since we hyped ourselves up last week. So I just wanted to get that out of the way right at the beginning and then we can move on to talking good about ourselves again. Yeah, there's there's definitely uh some accountability to be had and um as humble as Dustin and I tend to be on this podcast, we we certainly have to eat crow when when crow <laughs> is on the menu and it and it sure is because holy cow. I mean, I you you said it. You just said it. I don't I never saw that coming. I could absolutely fathom a loss. I could even see a scenario where K-State pulls away in the second half and it's not all that close. Um, a historic, I mean, historic in the grand scheme, like not even just Oklahoma State football, historic in conference college football, that loss um, was was quite shocking. And yeah, we absolutely do owe, maybe not an apology, but sorry for being off by like 57 points, which I think I was. So I, I just want to be clear about that. I am sorry for that. Yeah, Kate. I, I mean, we just got to get some of these negatives out of the way real quick. It's going to be very negative for a little bit, though. <laughs> it marks the worst loss under Mike Gundy since the 62-23 loss to Texas A&M on October 15th, 2005. We all remember I that was, <laughs> yes. I wish she was shut out in a game for the first time since November 28, 2009, which was Bedlam in 2009. I was at that game in Norman. Not a fun time. And OSU is now the first AP top 10 team with a 40-plus point shutout loss since October 26, 1968. Yeah. So that's what I meant. That last one that you just read off is what I meant when I said this was historic in a college football sense. This just yes. doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I, I honestly, and there are reasons why, but even on the rewatch, I'm just kind of dumbfounded by how it went from last weekend against Texas, where Spencer Sanders finding guys over the middle defense, locking it down in the second half. And, and really one of the, a signature win for Mike Gundy to one of the worst performances we've seen in in you know the last 15 years plus of cowboy football and i i'm not gonna overreact there, there's no way that i mean i just said 15 years dustin i didn't say five years 
I didn't say two years. This this has not been a thing that Oklahoma State does. And so we've we've always kind of taken a positive slant. And I'll I'll continue to do that because I think it may be another 15 years, hopefully, knock on wood until that happens again. But yeah, it's shocking for a lot of reasons because it hasn't happened to anybody else in what'd you say, Dustin, 53 years? Yeah. So and Kate, here's the thing, you know. We've heard what Mike Gundy said in his presser after the game, his post-game presser, and then on Monday, and he reiterated on, on his radio show, they practiced differently this week. He didn't want to go into details, but I believe it was John Paul Richardson after the game was asked about practice, and he mentioned not going 11 on 11, not doing any team stuff. I don't think they did much tackling because of all the injuries, and Mike said he's never going to, do this again, change practice like that. But, you know, Casey Dunn said that he thought this was the right plan. Gundy obviously thought it was correct before the game. And I think it led to not everything that went wrong in the game, but I think it led to a lack of physicality, whereas K-State came out and hit OSU in the mouth right off the bat offensively. They asked for the ball, and they went down and scored, threw it deep on fourth and long. And... I think that kind of set the tone for the game. And because Oklahoma State, you know, wasn't as physical at practice this week, had so many guys banged up, I don't think they were really ever to recover from that, especially on the road without your home crowd behind you. And that kind of set the tone for the game. And I, I'm not trying to blame everything on that because there were missed assignments. I, you know, I didn't like some of the schematic things that were done. But overall, I think that's kind of the root cause of this 48 to zero got out loss it it does feel like no knowing that that the the issues we saw on the field were symptoms and i think i totally agree with you they're symptoms of the root disease which was a lack of you know maybe a practice against a game plan maybe a lot of watching film but maybe not seeing it in in person uh with your own eyes i don't know that's all speculation i have no clue what I will say, though, is if that was what happened, it doesn't surprise me because it looked like Oklahoma State from the jump was completely unprepared. They were lost in the secondary. Um, I mean, Colin Clay getting wham blocked over and over again looked like we had no clue that was coming, which is crazy. And, and that's something you, he's you probably talked about never it. seen before. Right. That's something he's probably – and we can, we'll get into that when we talk about the defense, but K-State made some slight tweaks – to their counter run game and they targeted the inexperienced players. They targeted Colin Clay, who you just mentioned a guy who's what his second start after, you know, not really playing very much at all. They targeted Xavier Benson by putting a lot of throws, running a lot of runs into the boundary where he plays as the weak side linebacker. So there's a lot of things. K-State was targeting the inexperienced guys. And then along with the things we just said, it was, I mean, it was a great game plan from K-State. Props to them. They played really well overall. I still think they're not that – I still don't really know <laughs> if they're a better team than Oklahoma State, but this game was just absurd to watch. I, I, Kate, I think you and I talked about this off the podcast, but – I've never seen two teams that I thought were pretty evenly matched. You know, I called it 34-28, but I thought Oklahoma State was the better team. And then it ended up like this without, you know, you know, all backups playing. It, it just kind of blew my mind. And 
it just it was a snowball effect though. You know, they go down, they have an eight play drive, turn it over on downs, Oklahoma State, then a seven play drive, and they have to punt. Then they have the big play turns into a fumble on the next drive. So you have an eight play drive, turn it over on downs when you're in Kansas State's side of the field. A seven play drive, which is another good drive and have to punt on fourth and one, I believe is what they punted on. And I think they might have gotten into K-State's side of the field on that drive. And then the next, you've had two pretty good drives with your script. And then you come out on the next drive and have a big play, nice catch by Brennan Presley, throw from Spencer Sanders over to the sideline, and then he fumbles it. So you've been gaining yards. I, I went through it. Their first 20 plays, you know, we say like 15 to 20 plays is normally the script, which probably got a little off script at the end because they were down by so much. 98 yards. You know, it's about five yards per play. It's not terrible. The remainder of the 43, I believe it was, plays, excluding the kneel down, they only gained 120 yards. Yeah, and that's that's a trend. In the two games they've lost, it's been similar. Um, and a lot of that in this game, I feel like, is Oklahoma State trying to climb out of a hole, and then you, right. you, you get out of character. You do things you wouldn't normally do. It's It's not the way Oklahoma State wants to win games. However, it's the way they've won games in the past. They have been down. Like when they were down 14 nothing. I was not ready to hit the panic button. I, I've seen Oklahoma yeah. State win games from that deficit. But when it's 35 nothing going into halftime, I'm starting to wonder, like, are we on the verge of a historic defeat? And the answer was absolutely 100% yes. And I will, I'll go all the way back to the beginning of your point, Dustin. K-State came out hair on fire and you said it the road environment was was part of that sellout crowd it looked amazing on tv had several friends that were there looked amazing uh through what what they were able to share too oklahoma state was not ready and k-state absolutely treated that as if it was a like heavyweight battle for the driver's seat in the big 12 championship race and oklahoma state just quite frankly looked flat from the jump. And I think yeah. a lack of success on offense early does that. But, I mean, getting punched in the mouth two straight drives, that'll do it too. And so it, it, oh, this is a different recap because Oklahoma State was never in this game, not at all. It was never yeah. close. No, but I think you segued us perfectly into just kind of going a little bit more into the offense. You go back and look and you see one play in 12 personnel. When was the last time this Oklahoma State team yeah. ran one play of 12 personnel. That's been such a key part of their offense. And, you know, not 30, 40% of the personnel grouping per game, but at least 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 plus plays out of 12 personnel, especially, you know, last season when they had Logan Carter and Braden Cassidy. You see the most zero personnel, five receiver sets. That was probably due to being down a lot. And aside from that, it's heavy 11, heavy 10. They tried to work split zone heavily early. Kansas State was doing some things that made that hard to do. You would see Rashad Owens come across the formation for the trap block where the O-line's going the other way, and either no one would be there or what K-State was doing is right before the snap, they were bringing a safety and a linebacker up on either side of the line of scrimmage, yep. and then the other linebacker would be coming one of the the same way that Owens is going. So now there's two guys coming off the edge at him. He doesn't know who to block, and the other one's making the tackle. That happened multiple times. So split zone was not working. And then as you go through the game, like I said, the script was working pretty well. But as you go on through the game, the one thing that I kind of noted was 
they're trying to get back into this game, but they're trying to get back into this game throwing deep balls. And they right. don't connect on any of them 20 plus yards down the field because K-State plays that three down look and they'll go three safeties. This They were giving you the slot receiver throws. Absolutely. Casey Dunn and Spencer Sanders were completely going away from them. And I'm not saying that's all on Casey Dunn. I think Spencer was making some poor decisions because I think at some point you just got to say, hey, let's go try to score some points, get some momentum and see what happens. Yeah. And that's not really what they ever did. And I know, I know people get upset when they still see play action where we're not able to run the ball. That's just how the plays are designed. I yeah, mean, he's, it's, he's still going to fake it. It's not, I mean, if you, if you want him to not fake it, he's going to have to do a super deep drop. It's going to look odd. It might throw the timing off. That's part of the route timing. That's part of his timing. So I, I know it looks weird, but that, that's how some of those plays are run on the call sheet. Casey Dunn's not expecting to be down 35 points at half. But K-State, on defense, you know, they're dropping into zone. They're playing man. They're doing some zone blitz. They're doing some cover zero man blitz. It, and they didn't blitz as much as they had all season. I had them at like a 28% blitz rate on Spencer's dropbacks. I think I saw Bill Conley only had it like 20 on his. I'm not sure exactly how he calculates his. They were up around 35 most of the year. So they were, it was like they kind of, their film breakdown, they knew when exactly to blitz. They knew when they should go zone. And we saw Spencer struggle to throw into zone, which we haven't seen a lot this year. Normally, he does pretty well this season against zone. But schematically, Kate, that's really all I had because after the second quarter, it turned into catch up. And I'm not really going to break down that scheme because that's not the Oklahoma State scheme. That's catching up when you're down 35 points. Yeah, it. Um, you're absolutely right. There were two plays, actually, that I had circled that I wanted to talk about that point that out. It was the interception where Stefan Johnson fell down on the route. I think that's the right read from Spencer still. However, yeah, it's an anticipation throw too. There's the way K-State was lined up on that play. They have four players on that side of the ball or on that side of the field to Oklahoma State's two. It's not a numbers advantage. You're you're essentially praying that everything goes right because if you throw it there, your guy has to get it or it's likely going to be intercepted. And what happens? Fall down on the route. Young receiver Boogie, who we just gave his flowers last week. Not a great game from him. Uh, I think he would be the first to tell you that. But falls down on the route and it's an easy pick. And then you fast forward, you know, two quarters. Oklahoma State's down 38 nothing. It's fourth and five. Spencer's still healthy. And he unloads one to Bryson Green on fourth and five. When, and it's this is 38 nothing. But To your point, Rashad Owens is coming out of the cowboy back spot wide open underneath and never was looked at anything like that. And so we don't want to add insult to injury or anything, but I I think you are spot on that there was a lot of impatience. Um, They they weren't looking underneath. It was a lot of shot plays, forcing the ball downfield to try to catch up. And so it's really like you can really only look at the first quarter in terms of scheme because everything else is out of character. I feel like. And like I said, Cade, the script was working pretty well. I mean, I've talked about it, the almost hundred yards on the first 20 plays. And I think if you throw out a sack in there, you could, you know, sit like the first 15 plays was close to that, but I think they lost like seven yards. I think it might've been the John Paul Richardson play that they lost like seven yards on, but I think you're exactly right on everything you said. And what K-State was doing, along with what I had talked about, is you know they're they're keeping two or three safeties back there. 
and take away the deep ball, take away the intermediate throws, which we've seen Spencer, you know, he's killed it in the middle of the field intermediate this year, which I know has been a criticism of his in the past. And what they were doing is they were taking their three linebackers, putting them all in the box with the three down linemen and saying, we're going to play six in the box with five guys behind us. And we don't think you can run it. And Oklahoma state proved them right, which allowed those five defensive backs to kind of cause chaos in the backfield they're playing pass first. They don't even have to worry about the run, which they had the safeties come down on the run at times because um, they'd just be too high. But that was kind of their game plan, and it worked out perfectly because Oklahoma State was not able to run the football. Well, those linebackers were so aggressive at all times. I think and you that's even without Daniel Green. Yeah, you called them a little bit of read and react last week on the podcast, and spot on for you, sir. Because it felt like every time Oklahoma State ran the football, there were six guys like at the line of scrimmage. And so we had a question about why can't Oklahoma State get to the second level? Well, you have a numbers disadvantage at that point. I know it, at that you, you potentially have a cowboy back most of the time, so it's really six on six. But you're not able to get to the second level, and so you're really looking at even numbers, and that's that's tough to run the ball against against a downhill physical team like K-State. So, you know, I – Nothing went well, and <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get through this, honestly, because they they couldn't throw the ball, they couldn't run the ball, they couldn't protect Spencer, and they back to it couldn't run the ball. They they just the offensive yeah. line couldn't do much. And if you want to stick on running the ball for a second, you know the the running back room. We go into the game knowing Dom's out. Yep, he's out with injury. Jaden Nixon's banged up. We see that he. Comes in early, has to come out for a while, comes back in late. Ollie's banged up. He's probable for the game. So you're going with DeAndre Jackson, who hasn't really played at all. A few snaps out of 23 personnel, and that's pretty much it. Didn't play a ton at Texas A&M. Doesn't have a lot of experience. And you saw that on the field. He was not very good in pass protection, which, how do you expect him to be? I, he doesn't have any reps out there. I mean... So he's not very good in pass pro. I put a couple clips out there, which, you know, I hate calling out the negative stuff like this on Twitter, but it was pretty glaring. The running back vision was poor. If there was a hole opened up, Jackson missed. I think I had him down with three bad reads and what, how many total carries did he have? I think I have him at six. So three of those I have bad reads on the other three are offensive line. I had Nixon with two and then I, Ollie only carried it twice, and I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt because I know he was also banged up there, and he had the nice run on the swing, kind of little flat pass from Spencer. But overall, I thought the running backs did not do very well, and we've got to blame a lot of it on the offensive line, I know, but the running backs did not do anything to help them out, especially when you got Jason Brooks up to the second level multiple times, and you're still not able to make anything out of it. So... 2.3 yards a carry from the running that, that's running backs only. That's the lowest in conference play this year by them. And that is just not, it's not going to cut it. And, and I think the thing is, we've talked about this, the offensive line, especially the right side with Brooks and Springfield gave them some opportunities with holes and, and Owens did as well on that trap block a couple of times with split zone and they weren't able to make the most of it. I think Nixon had a couple good carries early, and then it was pretty much nothing after that. 
And if Spencer Sanders isn't going to run the football, which we have seen, they have not drawn up. I only had five QB designed runs, and I believe two of those were for Gunner Gundy. That's two weeks in a row now, really no designed runs. The defense is going to key on the running backs, and the running backs have to do a better job of winning in space. Yeah, and and finding what is given to you in that situation. I mean, you're you actually put a a phenomenal clip out of, of just that. Jason Brooks, Springfield opening up a great hole and young running back. I mean, Nixon's inexperienced. Let's just face it. We've seen a lot of good out of him so far in his career, but he's still inexperienced. And so it shows its head right there. Does that help Oklahoma State win this game? No, but it is unfortunate going forward. I'll be honest. I don't think it matters all that much. In the grand scheme, you couldn't block the linebackers, couldn't block Felix Anaduka uh, Uzoma. He was an absolute monster, could not block anybody. And so Jason Brooks was the bright spot on a otherwise, you know, really, really poor performance. But it goes back to a, a trend that we're seeing with Oklahoma State where it's just this offensive line is banged up again. And there's musical chairs on the offensive line Again, and so I don't know how you fix that. I don't know why it's a thing, but it's it's kind of every year at this point, you get to this time of the season and you're just patching things together. You remember the K-State game last year, Dustin, where Joe Mahalski's yeah. playing his first game ever at center and you don't know what to expect. Granted, it worked out well, but we're, we're kind of back there right now. I know you slot in Jason Brooks and things are good, but Boy, it was not an encouraging performance. And those those K-State linebackers, uh, they looked both like kind of all-conference players against this offensive line. And all due respect to them, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that's the case. And I think that maybe even made the running backs a little hesitant as the game went on because Austin Moore, their weak side linebacker, and Nick Allen, who's the backup middle linebacker, were doing such a good job of kind of blowing around the line and then like you said reading and reacting without getting blocked avoiding if an Oklahoma State offensive lineman was able to get to the second level they were able to avoid them so you called that perfectly and along with NUDK Uzuma Eli Huggins their nose tackle was also called oh my god he was taking on Preston Wilson and whatever guard depending on which way they were running zone and and just kind of clogging up the middle allowing those linebackers to wreck and Speaking of the offensive line, we can move on to them and just kind of wrap them up real quick. Preston Wilson, he looked hurt from the very first snap. He had a yep. couple good pushes, but after that, you could tell that ankle was really bothering him. He ended up leaving the game. I think it was late in the third quarter. That That's just tough. Uh, Joe Maholsky didn't even play. So I, I think he's re-banged up from a couple of games ago. You've got Jason Brooks playing right guard, which he hasn't played since he was at Vandy. And... I thought Springfield was probably, you know, we've been giving him his flowers. I thought he was just okay in this game. Materko and Etienne were below average in this game compared to what I've seen from them. I thought they both had pretty bad games. And when you get that and you only have one guy, you know, Jason Brooks has multiple pancakes. I thought he looked pretty good in pass pro. And then with K-State blitzing whenever, and you don't have a good chip from Jackson. There was one play where they blitz somebody from the second level Ran right by Springfield, who who would have who should have been picking him up, and right through Jackson and Spencer. Yeah. I he, I don't think he got sacked on that one, but he had to throw it away really quick. So, 
just tough stuff. I, I thought overall the offensive line, one of the worst games this season, I think, overall. But it's with a banged up Wilson and a guy playing a position he hasn't played since the school he was at before Oklahoma State. So I think you have to take that into consideration. If we're going to be that negative, I think you do have to call that out as well. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely fair. Dustin, you're nothing if not fair. I've, I've always said that about you. So, <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Thank but you. there was another play where uh, I'm going to call him Felix. We've, we've decided that on this podcast already where yes. – it's on the left side of the offensive line and Etienne and Jackson both whiff. I think it was on that third and two going, going lateral to the offensive line and they were lucky to get a hand on him. It was, that was the thing that was most distressing to me was the lack of physicality there. You would have at least loved to have somebody get a hand on him, but it was just like they, they couldn't block him and, and same with Huggins, same with Moore, same with great. It just, it was a, it was not, not good. And uh there was uh there was an Ollie Gordon chip block though at one point in the game where he absolutely destroyed whoever that K State <laughs> defender was. And I did love that from Ollie. I'll try yeah. to go clip that if I can find it. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything else on the offensive line, cowboy backs saw some I mean, not nothing really noteworthy in my mind, but no Jake Schultz at yeah. all. He played two snaps. So yeah. that was a little odd. We've kind of seen his snaps dwindle when he was the guy getting a majority of the snaps early. Owens, not his fault, but you know there were times he looked a little lost, but I think that was more on K-State's scheme and Oklahoma State's inability to adapt to what they were aligning defensively in their front and their linebackers. I didn't think he had a great game though. I thought Casty did okay. He came in after like the second series and played a couple series in a row. Wide receiver wise, I I, I think you know it kind of went back to a couple games ago where Bryson Green and Boogie they're not really able to get separation. You have you called out Boogie falling on the on the one route. He has the drop. You have Bryson Green fumble and luckily he's able to get it back. Brandon Presley fumbles. The outside guys struggled. K-State pressed. They would press bail. And another thing this game that kind of I thought was a little glaring was Oklahoma State's receivers weren't really able to find space in K-State zone, but that kind of goes back to K-State only having to keep five or six guys in the box and drop everybody else out back into coverage. So I didn't think it was a great game from the wide receivers. They did block pretty well at times on the perimeter, which I think we've seen improve as the games have gone through. But, you know, KP targeted eight times. He only catches two. Brennan targeted three times, catches two. Bryson targeted eight times, catches three. Boogie targeted nine times and catches two. There was just a lot of balls that hit the grass and not the hands of these wide receivers on Saturday. Yeah, and when they did hit the hands, it was almost as if that didn't matter either. Uh, I mean, there were there were multiple drops in this game, impact plays early on, boogie dropping what looked to be a, a, a walk in touchdown potentially, and a drive killing uh, drop. I, I mean, not to hundred you know, percent that, but it was a. I mean, that might have been a touchdown. Well, and at the point in the game where it's seven nothing, let's say Oklahoma State scores there. I mean that doesn't that doesn't make me think Oklahoma State wins the game, but I I don't think it's nearly the type of blowout you see. I I just think Oklahoma State got down so early and got buried that morale's low, 
they get they're in kind of catch up mode. They're out of character everywhere. It's just a weird game. But yeah, the wide receivers were not great at all. Um, you know, the one bright spot, one nice positive play of the day is Presley getting a, a nice catch and run and then fumbling. It's like that was really to me an encapsulation of the of the game as a whole is like, you know, anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong because the the one time they make a nice play, turn the ball over, K State goes and scores. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I was not I was not in love with the uh, performance of the wide receivers. Stephon Johnson still gets open, though. So that's a good thing. Um, just got to catch the ball. But it's young growing pains with the young receiver. And they come out and start the second half with a little glance RPO play to Bryson Green, where Spencer is a glance route is like a longer slant and not quite a post. It's normally like five steps and in, whereas a slant would be like three. And Spencer, with a two-high look, he's going to be reading that third-level safety. He sees him kind of back off. Brendan Presley is the slot on that side, and he takes the nickel in with him. So that read tells you to throw, hit it, nice game for Bryson. And we never go back really to anything like that. And that's kind of what I was talking about. That I mean, the slot receivers weren't even really targeted, I don't think, very much in the second half. I don't think Brennan was at all. John Paul, I believe, was a, a couple times. But... It was a it was playing catch up, but I think taking them completely out of the game just makes the percentage that you're going to get a first down much lower. So I didn't love that. I'm not, I'm not going to completely bash the scheme because I liked the early script from Casey Dunn, but that was something that just kind of confused me. I get you're down 35, you need to throw it deep, but I don't know why you want to take those guys completely out of the game. But Kate, I did want to bring something up to you that Gundy said on his radio show. He said that Spencer Sanders. He was like, I'm just going to throw this out there. He, I hadn't really said anything like this yet, but Spencer Sanders hasn't really fully practiced now in three weeks. <laughs> You're playing with Boogie Johnson, who is a true freshman, has very little in-game reps with Spencer. Bryson Green, who you know has been here now for a couple of years, but still not a ton of in-game reps with Spencer. If he's not practicing and getting the timing down, routes down just getting comfortable with these wide receivers i'm not sure it's ever going to look great in the game until he's able to really fully practice with them and i get he's practicing the offseason but you're going into the season thinking you're going to have bray and Braden johnson out there with bryson green probably mixed in but i don't know if spencer had that many reps in fall camp with a guy like boogie and i could be wrong there but i think that's a huge factor on why along with his shoulder why these should throws are short or a little bit off as we've seen Bryson have to dive for that kind of comeback route a few times. Do you think I'm way off in that? I don't. I actually think that's a phenomenal point and one I hadn't considered. We, we know that we know Spencer has not been practicing. Um, what doesn't show though, is like why the throws are poor, you know, and, and until you have that context, you don't really know. You don't really know that there could be chemistry off because who's been throwing the ball to them in practice? It's Gunnar Gundy and Garrett Rangel and and uh, oh, forgive me, who's the walk-on's name? It's okay. Um, but Gavin something. He's from Hooker. That's yeah, all I know. There you go. So um, that's that's it. And so they may have better chemistry with some of these young guys. You make a phenomenal point, and because of that, I don't know. Like, let's say Spencer, let's say Spencer comes back you know, this weekend 
I'm dubious. I'm dubious he comes back kind of dot, 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 end of sentence. I don't know what's going on there. I'm dubious. But if he does, does this does it change a whole lot for you going into this KU game? My opinion is not really. We, we've seen what it was the past couple of weeks. Texas being the outlier, I think TCU, K-State are the ones I look at and think, no, that's probably more what you would see going into this KU game um, than anything otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think with him going and, you know, he went to the x-ray tent, gets x-rayed, heard some things about collarbone. If he plays, he's going to be significantly banged up. So I think, yeah, I think to your point, we can kind of break it down later either way because you're either getting a very banged up Spencer Sanders or one of Garrett Rangel or Gunnar Gundy. I mean, most likely Gundy goes out there first. So we'll kind of see when we get there. But along with that, Kate, I don't know how much to really break Spencer's game down. He didn't really get a chance to run it. Looked like he had happy feet, but he's also getting pressured. The pass protection wasn't as good as it has been. 13 to 26, 50% completion. He was short on a lot of throws. That could be due to what we just talked about. That could be due to his shoulder. I just think if you're not able to give him designed runs early, it's hard for him to get his confidence up. But Gundy, this is the first week where Gundy has really harped on the fact of how banged up Spencer Sanders is. He's mentioned it before, but he mentioned it multiple times in both pressers and on his radio show. So I think the fact that he's just going out there and competing, I think it was probably his worst game this season, but I mean, what percentage of health is he even at? So that's the thing. If, if, if you're not going to run him a lot, he's, it's hard for him to get his confidence up. I know they're going to rest him again this week. We'll see what happens, but I don't really have that much more to say about Spencer Sanders in the offense. Yeah, I, I'm in the same spot, Dustin. It was it was awful. Um, not as not like the defensive breakdown is going to be much more fun, uh, but that's what we're here. Fair, un, uh, balanced, unbiased news for you. Um, anything else? Nothing else on the offense. I've got nothing. I, I it was it was bad from the beginning. You hope the best for Spencer's health. Um, zero red zone attempts zero right so <laughs> yeah maybe we've already gone too long on the offense because <laughs> that's maybe the stat of the day um well dustin let's let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball before we do that though i do want to take a quick break and say thank you to the sponsor that feels like 45 podcast price buckley with edward jones Price is the fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your neat goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash price hyphen Buckley. And Price, as always, we appreciate and have appreciated your support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. Wish the best of luck to you in the future. Dustin, I mean, again, not as though the defensive preview or recap is going to be any more fun, but boy, it was not good. Out of position, chunk plays, couldn't get off the field on third and fourth and long, just from the jump, awful. Man, I loved what K-State did on offense. I, I just like A their clinic. overall game plan. What it seemed to me like what they were doing, Cade, and we talked about this off air a little bit, 
we've heard a lot of talk about their counter plays. They were hitting on GH counter. That was kind of their prime. And then they were using some GT counter, which is the backside guard and tackle pulling as opposed to GH where it's the backside guard and then the H back, which would be the tight end on that side pulling. And they also use some power. And what they were doing was normally, you know, you'll have that GT counter run, GH counter run. It'll be attacking the B, maybe sometimes a C gap. So B gap in between the guard and the tackle, um, sorry, center and guard. And then, so what they were attacking here was more the A gap. So the gaps on either side of the center, Deuce had, I think, 101 of his 158 yards through either A gap. And what they were doing there on these runs is on the play side, the guard and tackle were cross blocking. So the play side guard would block out on the end or the Leo and the play side tackle would either block down on the three tech defensive tackle or if Sionia C was lined up at nose guard directly over the center, that tackle would just release straight up to the linebacker. Then on the backside, you have the pull come around and instead of the H, the tight end coming out and blocking, you know, like up through the hole, he was actually attacking the defensive tackle, which was normally Colin Clay in kind of like a trap block almost. And then Deuce was cutting it up through the A gap and Oklahoma state had no real counter for that. No counter for the counter. They weren't able to stop it. I think, I think I had it down like 80% of their runs came off some kind of counter or power play yardage wise. It was absolutely insane and the other issue is the linebacker to the backside was over pursuing following the pullers and then you have this free release offensive lineman up to the second level and that guy's just getting destroyed because he doesn't even see this lineman coming up to the second level he's you know Benson or Cobb is just running at the area that I think the ball is and then Deuce is cutting it back up through the a gap nobody's there there was one screenshot i forgot to put it on twitter Cade, where they're running and deuce cuts it back into the boundary the short side of the field and everyone is blocked or on the opposite side of the hash because they think it's going out to the other perimeter to the field to the wide side except for jabbar muhammad who's nine yards away from the line of scrimmage yeah yeah and there's no other defenders even there and that was the one he broke for a huge run the 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 chunk yardage that K State was able to generate just off of not their base plays, but where Oklahoma State is probably leaning one direction, thinking that something is coming, and then the other thing comes. They K State was one; they were explosive, which is not normally the case, and two, they were unbelievably efficient in between the twenties, which I've talked about this before. Like it was honestly quite apparent to me that they wanted to hit Oklahoma state from outside the twenties. Like they took shots before they got into the red zone, which is something we hadn't necessarily seen all year, but it's almost as though K state realized like, okay, once things tighten up for them there, they tend to be better. Uh, they have less space to cover. And if we can hit them from outside the red zone, things are better. And so I, I don't know if that's something you noticed or picked up on, yeah. but they were unbelievably efficient in between the twenties 
And they never, re- they only got in the red zone a few times and scored points on every single one of those possessions. But Oklahoma State had multiple red zone stops that end in field goals. And so a lot of those K State touchdowns come from way back, which is like, man, Oklahoma State just is having a lot of trouble covering in space right now in, in both in the passing game and the running game. No, you're 100% right. And, and the in space tackling was poor. Deuce is a very hard person to tackle. You know, guys like Malik Knowles and, Knowles and Phillip Brooks are very hard to tackle in space, but at times it was it was pretty poor one-on-one. And, you know, like I said, those are difficult tackles to make, but what K-State was doing, they were doing a lot. It wasn't like they were mixing up that many formations, but what they were doing was really confusing Oklahoma State. They were doing a lot of two tight ends to the boundary, so one at H-back, one at inline tight end, and then twins to the field. And they were running the ball or throwing the ball into the boundary, kind of targeting Xavier Benson's side, targeting. It, it, it seemed like a lot of times they were, when they were into the boundary, when they did that, it was to Corey Black's side into the boundary if it was on the right side of the field. And out of that, they, you heard the commentator on the broadcast talk about the wham block where that tight end is coming in and blocking down on the defensive tackle. Again, targeting another inexperienced player in Colin Clay, it seemed like K-State's game plan was to attack the inexperienced Oklahoma State's defense. You saw multiple routes. So a route would come across the linebackers, and then either Deuce Vaughn would come on like an angle route right behind a Cade Warner coming across. So it's two routes coming at the linebackers. They're following the first route. The second one's wide open. They did that a lot. They sent a lot of routes, multiple routes into Oklahoma State's zones when they were either in cover three or quarters or even cover two, where one defensive back is basically has that zone and he's got two guys coming at him. It was a really good game plan. They they had Cade Warner, who normally plays on the outside, in the slot when Oklahoma State was in man to the boundary. We've seen all season Xavier Benson will line up over the slot to the boundary that ends up a touchdown because Xavier Benson has to cover him downfield one-on-one. Cade Warner is a great downfield receiver. Xavier Benson is not a great downfield coverage guy. So just what they were doing to exploit Oklahoma State was really impressive. It, It was pretty close to a perfect game plan in my opinion. Yeah, I mean there there were multiple examples of of Oklahoma State players being schemed out of position and or being the only person in the area that could make a play, getting blocked, not making the play, etc. That end up springing, you know, what's otherwise a couple of yards into, in Cade Warner's case, a touchdown on that bubble screen that. Uh, Jason Taylor gets blocked on, um, and really he's the only guy in the area that can make a play. So there were many examples of that. Um, just really a great game plan from Kansas State as you as you laid out. And I, I don't know what Oklahoma State was <laughs> otherwise going to do to fix it, quite frankly. Like they they just weren't in the right position to make the play. And I think you can point that all the way back upstream quite frankly yeah i agree and i I think another thing that confused them k-state went empty a lot especially on early downs yeah you mentioned that didn't have any idea what was going on there so um but defensive line wise i okay this might have been their worst game all season i I think even 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 the tyler Lacey's and the sionia c's the guys that we have really you know kind of praised all season. Tyler Lacey is a guy you and I think could be a, you know, 
top one, two, three round draft pick yeah. in the future. They just were consistently getting pushed off the line of scrimmage, which allowed Kansas State's offensive linemen to get up to the second level and just crush Benson and Cobb. And I don't even know how much you can really blame. So Benson and Cobb were overrunning plays. I, I talked about that earlier. But on that, you know, the defensive line has got to help them out some. Yeah. Kid, I don't really know what the issue is. I, I would love, and I don't know if they can do this just conditioning-wise, I would love to see Lacey in a C out there for every single snap. You know, Tyler Lacey's out there for 58 of the 75. A C's out there for 48. But then you have Samuela, who I think is a talented player. He gets 20. You see Colin Clay get 50. I, I just would love for it to be Lacey and a C inside and then try to figure out what you're going to do on the field defensive end. Do you put a second Leo out there? Do you convert Brock Martin to more of a hand-in-the-ground field defensive end? Do you play Cody, Cody Walterscheid more than 17 snaps? But I think when they're rotating in these other guys against a team like K-State, it's such a drop-off from a C and Lacey inside. And I think Samuela and Colin Clay are really great players. I praised Clay last week. I think he's going to be great for Oklahoma State, but he's very inexperienced. And I just think the drop-off from a C to Samuela is pretty significant. I, I don't know if that's the issue, but that's something that, you know, I, I know our guy Adam Lunt has pointed out before. Yeah, he has. And I, I just don't, I don't know what you do when you're facing a line as good as K-State's, but rotating that many guys in doesn't seem to work well and it's it certainly puts you behind the eight ball as a young inexperienced linebacker which you can't say Benson's young but you could certainly say he's inexperienced at this level and you could say that Cobb is still young and inexperienced so yeah you're exactly right the interior defensive line has been a problem for more than three weeks now but it's really shown up in the last three weeks against TCU Texas and then ultimately K-State. They figured some things out against Texas, but it, it was more of the same. We're seeing a trend. This is like 12 straight quarters now where the interior defensive line is really struggling. And I think you're exactly right. And, and I think it does go back to be cautious uh, as to who you're rotating in and how often. I know you got to get these guys some, some breathers, but you made a point a couple of weeks ago on the podcast this team misses Israel Antoine and it misses Jaden Jernigan. Both of those guys, big time. And it, and it shows up in games like that. Because last year, being able to rotate the defensive line was he, was a big key. That was a huge... Yeah. I mean, when you had a 100%. healthy Brendan Evers, when you had Israel Antoine, when you had Jaden Jernigan, when you played Tyler Lacey more inside, those four could rotate in Sionia C. Those five guys rotating in and out with a little bit of Samuela mixed in was big time. This year, you don't have that depth, especially with Evers gone now, which, you know, I'm not saying Evers should be playing because he's hurt. So not, not anything on him for that, but it just kind of lowers your depth. And maybe you just need to play Lacey in a C a majority of the snaps and mix in a little bit of Samuel and clay here and there, but we'll see kind of how, what they do the rest of the season. I, I think Samuel made a nice play. He had a really good play in this game. Clay made a couple good plays and his hustle is always going. We talked about it last week. He'll, he may not, he may get pushed off the line of scrimmage, but he'll dive and tackle the running back after he's made it through the hole. So he never gives up, but um, is it on the line it, real quick, Dustin, before we move on to the linebackers, is it possible that the interior defensive line with the two guys and a healthy Brennan Evers, who we mentioned like as being crucial to last season, 
is it possible that they like enabled like a Colin Oliver and a Brock Martin to have the type of year they did? Because I don't think we've talked a lot about this, but there's definitely been a regression to the mean at that spot. I think they're definitely still freaks still can be dominant at times, but they're absorbing more of the responsibility to get off one-on-one blocks because the interior doesn't have to, they're not being focused on so heavily. Do you think there's any merit to that? Because I think oh, 100%. What, what is what is the shocking thing to me is just a lack of pass rush. We've seen, again, TCU, K-State, Texas being the outlier. Not a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I think that teams, especially at, at Kansas State, realize that they can kind of take some of these defensive linemen on with one block as opposed to double teams and allocate more guys the Leos or have, you know, their max protect worry more about the edge guys than anything coming up leaking through the middle. And, and you see that, you know, I, I don't think we've seen a huge impact from, from Oliver and Ford in this game. I do, I do think Brock Martin played a pretty good game and what they were able to do later on in the game. You know, I talked about some kind of that over pursuit and what K state was doing on their line. They were moving one of the Leos back to kind of more of that mugged linebacker position. We talked about where, he's not susceptible to some of those cross blocks and trap blocks that and wham blocks at Oklahoma state or that Kansas state was doing earlier in the game. So that did help out. But by that time it was too late. It's the second half. That's the halftime adjustment they've made. So I completely agree. I think it's a great call out by you. And yes, the, if the interior doesn't play well, it's tough for the edge guys to do what they do. Yeah. They, they played so well as a unit last year where Tyler Lacey could show up and pop on film where a, you know, Jernigan or, I mean, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but yeah, it's, it's starting to show up for me in the way that they are able to generate pressure because Will Howard for most of the day, there were some, there were some, um, there were some outliers, but for most of the day was pretty clean. And if he had to move, it wasn't very far, could set his feet and throw. Um, it's just, it's, it's not great right now for that Oklahoma state defensive line. And it had and it little, had to be for for this yeah. to be a good year. He's a little bit better at scrambling than I had remembered as well. Uh, Boy, for, I know he's not like a quick guy. So. I would have I would have might have rather seen Adrian Martinez the way he was throwing the ball around. Yeah, we Saturday. talked about that last week too. Yeah. yeah, he's you know he had on, on a couple deep shots, some intermediate throws, but linebacker wise, you know, I think just getting out of their fit sometimes, over pursuing. I didn't. I still, you know, there's still improvement in the zone coverage. I talked about kind of those routes coming across. They're getting confused, but that'll come with time. I think, you know, Gundy said it at this point next season. I think you'll see Mason Cobb completely clean that up, and he will be a really, really, really good player. He's already a good player. Xavier Benson, though, I, I don't know if if they went in and talked about overrunning the play in their halftime adjustments, but he continued to do it in the second half. And it was one of the first thing coach Mason harped on after the game when he was asked about what, what they did wrong on defense. And I think he was talking about Benson and a little bit Kendall Daniels. And yeah, no question. No question. It just Benson didn't impact the game at all. And we've kind of talked about him playing quietly, and that's because he's that weak side linebacker spot. He's lined up over the slot sometimes. He's doing some things right. He can tackle well on the perimeter. But this game, he didn't tackle well on the perimeter, and I don't think he really had much of an impact at all. And the defensive line did not help him. You know, I'm going to that. I'm not saying it's all on Benson, but I, I thought 
and I know people have harped on him being bad this year. I thought this was one of his worst games, which is is tough when one of your linebackers has one of their worst games and the defensive line is playing bad. I think some of that is attributed to the defensive line, but I still don't think he impacted very much at all. No, I I thoroughly agree. And it's unfortunate because he's a guy that, yes, as you just said, people have harped on this year and his name's been called on this podcast every episode ad nauseum for, for better or for worse. Right. And most of the time it was not for better and, and it has not gone great for him again. I, there's a lot of reasons for that inexperience at this level. He did come from Texas Tech, but it's been a while since then. He's changed his body completely. It has been a while since that Xavier Benson has played. So, again, not harping on him. It's not all his fault. But, yeah, couldn't cover well. Continues to get washed up in counterplays. Um, I mean, it was it was very readily apparent on film against Central Michigan and it feels like every week it continues to show up and, and I don't know I don't know if we need to continue discussing it because it just seems yeah. like until it changes it's same thing with him. Yeah, no I agree. I moving on I, if you're good to move on to the defensive backfield. But Cam Smith struggled yep. again, very inexperienced there. Apparently DeMarco Jones is cleared. So um I'm not sure why we, we haven't seen him yet at corner because I know he was higher up on the depth chart than Cam. I didn't think Cam has played really bad. He just struggled, you know, getting confused at times, being out of position on the zone. Um, I'm really worried about that that deep crosser that they threw to Knowles where he comes from one side of the field to the other. KU does that a lot. So we'll have to watch out for that because it's a good route against zone coverage when you're not playing zone coverage well. Corey Block. I thought he was okay. And then I thought Jabbar played really well. You know, he gave up, I think, one catch early and then didn't really give up much more later. And they kind of stopped even throwing his way at all as the game moved on. Um, so I, I thought cornerback play was okay, but I thought Jabbar played pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, it was not the game I expected out of the Oklahoma State secondary. I, I feel like an idiot. For last week, having said that, I don't think K-State has the weaponry. Oklahoma State didn't have the the dogs on the back end to, to cover up. And, I mean, it's interesting because Cade Warner ends up being the guy with multiple scores on the day. I think that was a lot due to coaching and scheme. I, I think maybe my, my opinion is still close to the same. I'm still not in love with Malik Knowles. I'm still not in love with Phillip Brooks, but the scheme alone was enough to move Oklahoma State's youthful secondary around. Oh, where yeah. There's just yeah. not, they're not in the right spot. There were so many rub concepts. Basically what that is, is a wide receivers will be running routes close to each other and they'll kind of set a pick, which is illegal. But if you do it inadvertently, <laughs> it's fine. They got Thomas Harper on that for the touchdown, which didn't send it on that through his shoulder at Harper. So that didn't look inadvertent to me, but you know, the ref's not always going to call that they got Harper again on a quick pass. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the pick and rubs were great for them and like kind of the late delayed motion. We saw that with Deuce Vaughn and Xavier Benson gets beat on that touchdown, but Oklahoma state just got shredded apart in zone coverage. K state's completion rate was 83.3% against Oklahoma state zone. 
they played a pretty even split of man and zone. And again, you know, some of that's hard to tell because of that match coverage, which maybe zone initially, like a cover three turns into man. But I just thought overall, yeah, the zone coverage was bad, which we've seen at times this year. Safety-wise, JT was playing great. And then he hurts, I think, his hand, and he doesn't play in the second half. In the first half, Shawn Michael Flanagan assumed that rover free safety spot, and then Lear Rawls played in the second half. But Daniels got lost at times, and then he made some good plays. We've seen that all season. Like I said, Harper struggled at times. thought Shawn Michael Flanagan was okay. I didn't think Lear Rawls did anything great, but I didn't see any huge mistakes from him either. Not not really a ton on the safeties that I have either, Cade, notes-wise. So tough. I I can't believe we've filled an hour with this, but you're you're right. It's it's youth to to me. Like it it feels like the guys are there, but the experience is not. And I think as I've talked it out with you, which is really how I've treated this podcast, is I'm gonna talk out my emotions and opinions. Like <laughs> They've got the guys, but the guys don't have what they need. They don't have the experience. They haven't seen enough. And clearly, practice was a whole lot different this week. I mean, it was a perfect storm. I'm not ready to write the season off. I'm not ready to write off, um, you know, all that Oklahoma State has done well this year and in the last several years based on what is what is it likely an outlier. I, I think Oklahoma State can and probably will lose more games this year. But I think there are fixable mistakes. And I think a lot of this, Dustin, I think a lot of this comes with experience. You look at the skill talent on offense and you look at the secondary and really even the linebacker spots on defense. It's a young team and the offensive line health is, is not helping anything defensive line, not deep enough on the inside. There are, there are a lot of reasons that this game went the way it did. And there are a lot of reasons this season has gone the way it has. Yeah, I agree. I it's a tough game. You know, a couple mishaps on special teams. Tom Hutton goes out with an injury. I think I think they'll be okay there. Logan Ward is a really good punter, but Tom's been solid this season. It's a, quite a different punting, maybe not as much placement, but more kind of boom from Logan Ward. So we'll see there. But uh yeah, it's I kid, I don't really have anything else on this game. I don't either. I, I'm done. I'm done with it. It was yeah. awful. Absolutely <laughs> awful. Hey, Dustin, number one, props to you for having cranked out an amazing game thread. Rewatched the game the way you did. I I, I efforted my way through it, um, but I, I hope everybody appreciates the, uh, the sacrifice you made by being so uh, attentive <laughs> and literally having sifted through um, the manure, so to speak there. So, so nice work. No, uh, you're welcome. And it, it wasn't fun, but I do, I do it for the listeners, I do it for you guys. So speaking of doing it for the listeners, did you, I mean, the hoodie, the home field hoodie that you rocked on our Instagram and yes. Twitter, my gosh, I, I wasn't going to buy one. And then I saw you and I'm like, can I look like that in that too? <laughs> it fits really well. It's also very like warm. I, yeah, I, I didn't know what kind of hoodie it was going to be. It was going to be a little bit thinner, you know, kind of like, like stretchier material, but it's, it's very warm. I, I think it's one you could wear to a cold game and be fine. Wow. How about that? Well, if you haven't already, you should go 
to our social media pages and check it out. Homefield sponsor on the podcast launched a new t-shirt and hoodie. Dustin copped one. I I wasn't going to. I think I might have to now. Um, <laughs> but it it looked fantastic. Had the uh, new homecoming helmet on it. And uh, yeah, re- really jealous of that. And uh, if you don't know already, you can get 15% off your first order with Home Field when you use our promo code FEELS12 and you can go get that same hoodie. So again, go to our social media pages, check out Home Field Apparel at homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code FEELS12 for a 15% discount on your first order with them. Uh, again, it's super cool and uh, glad you were able to do that, Dustin. Yeah, for sure. I definitely say to go get one. They're very cool. Our uh, podcast sponsor, Andrew Cox, got the t-shirt. He sent me a pic of him wearing it. Looks cool as well. So either way, t-shirt or hoodie, you can't go wrong. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Well, Dustin, let's put Manhattan behind us. There's still a lot on the line. You need a couple (laughs) of things to go right, but the season is not dead. It is not over. You need a lot to go right, I would say. But um yeah, we'll put Manhattan behind us. We'll we'll go uh, about sixty five miles, seventy miles east, uh, and and go to Lawrence this weekend for what is a much bigger, different game than I had anticipated going into last weekend. This is this is a KU team who has been dealing with maybe not similar level like quantity of injuries but they have had some impactful injuries. Jalen Daniels, who was having a remarkable like Heisman contending type of year. Um, Luke Grimm, their wide receiver had been out. Kobe Bryant in the back uh, of their defense been out for a while. They've been dealing with some injuries as well, but they have managed to stay afloat. They have passed their season win total, uh, which was two and a half. They they're having a remarkable year and I worry that Oklahoma State catches them at a bad time um, going up to Lawrence this weekend. But why don't we flip it over to you for a little bit of a discussion on what they do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, Andy Kotelnicki, their offensive coordinator, he's been with Leipold forever, Buffalo before that at Whitewater or wherever he was at before that. So last year when you saw him, that was kind of their first year getting into everything. It was kind of more of the Baylor wide zone based attack with some play action and some other passing schemes mixed in there. And then as the season went along, they started adding some things in this season. If you watch Kansas play, I know I've said this the past two weeks as well with Texas and K state, but this is another extremely, extremely fun offense. They will use pre-step motion on over 50 this is actually a real stat like over 50 percent of their plays use some kind of pre-snap motion and i actually thought it was going to be higher than that it'll be you know to get someone to the point of attack to get someone open that they can throw to to distract the defense or to bring an extra blocker in like receiver or tight end in from split wide into the formation they run the quarterback a lot they average about 10 to 11 non-sack quarterback carries a game you know we talked about spencer sanders only having three last week and Gunnar Gundy having two they'll do option they'll do form a triple option they'll have a fullback in the backfield which is more of a two-back set and they'll run option off of that they'll use a jet orbit motioning wide receiver as the option man you know and the running back will be the handoff up the middle or you can run the option to the outside 
They do a lot of 11 and 12 personnel. Like I said, they do some 20 personnel, some 21 personnel stuff. It's just a lot of different things that they do. They'll run counter, they'll run power, they'll run zone. They do a lot of rub concepts. If you remember the pass to Jaden Nixon from the K-State game, the wheel route, where both receivers kind of came in and blocked in inadvertent legal picks, Kansas does a lot of that stuff. They do a lot of deep crossing routes. They'll mix in some RPOs as well, which with either the running back or a quarterback run. It's a ton of different stuff. It's very fun to watch. It's going to be a lot for some of the more inexperienced players like Cobb, Benson, Daniels to look at and to handle. So hopefully they're kind of doing a lot of prep for that this week in practice. They'll do man, they'll do cover three, they'll do cover one, they'll kind of mix up their coverages. They've had some games, I believe it was the Baylor game, they played a lot of uh, man on defense. I know we're not talking about the defense yet, but they'll they'll do a lot of different things on defense and coverage as well. So th- they'll mix things up and they, they will like to be confusing. And the big thing, Cade, what you mentioned, Jalen Daniels, he could be back this week or it could be Jason Bean, but either way, they run the offense pretty much exactly the same with either quarterback. And, and they do it effectively even even if it's jason bean they have clearly made a jump this year this is not the kansas team that oklahoma state has played the last 10 years or last year i have seen ku from afar most of the year and the thing that concerned me the most was oklahoma state's ability to defend them and not get lost in the sauce and we haven't do you, I don't feel good about that prospect because we've seen it a lot this year. Oklahoma State's inexperienced second level, um, and and you know particularly the safety spot, having to contribute in the run game, be sound and gap fit, especially with the team that likes to throw in some motion plus counter plus zone. This is this is a lot for a defense to handle. Period. And it's especially a lot for a defense to handle that's coming off the type of performance that they just came off. I think they're going to play better. I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to do some better things, whether it's Jalen Daniels or not. But I I mean, better is like 35 points. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like better is not 14. Better feels like a slight improvement. I just I'm nervous about OSU's ability to contain an and KU for all the bad things they've done over the last several years, they haven't really been all that short on skill talent. There have been some guys that have come through there. They've been missing a quarterback. They've been missing the guys in the trenches. It seems like they've found some, some help. And now you're starting to see it. This is going to be a dangerous KU team. They are, they are essentially playing for bowl eligibility in this game, which is a, don't laugh at it. This is a significant thing for that program. They will they will come out and it will be a hair on fire type of game again. And um, I just hope Oklahoma State's ready for it. Yeah. And like you said, with the trenches, that's where they haven't experienced much injury issues. All These guys, all five of their starters have played over 430 snaps. So they've gotten a majority of the snaps. The guy to watch is their left tackle, Eric Bostic Jr., Really good player. Their center, Novitsky, and their right guard, Ford, are both Buffalo transfers following Leipold. Pooney at uh, left guard, and then um, their right tackle, Cable Do. I think really the weak spot there, Novitsky has a ton of experience at center, 
and I know he got a lot of preseason praise. I think he's probably looked him and the left guard Pooney have probably looked as kind of the weak spots on this offensive line, but it's a good offensive line. They've provided really solid pass protection. They haven't always been able to consistently run the football, but they've provided Bean and Daniels with good pass pro. And you mentioned the skill players, Devin Neal, really good running back. Kai Thomas, he didn't play in the last game, but he's a solid running back. They lost High Shaw earlier in the year at running back, but he's good too. They have Lachlan, a running back that they normally split out wide. They have Morris, Morrison, Sevin Morrison that they'll put in there as well. And then at the wide receiver spots, Luke Grimm, if he's back, he's awesome in the slot. Lawrence Arnold at X, Quentin Skinner at Z. It's kind of like Kansas State. Those are their three guys and the other the backups just kind of mix in a little bit. Those are the three they want to throw the ball to. They're all really good. And then it wraps up with Mason Fairchild, their tight end. He's caught 15 passes this year. That's way more than any Oklahoma State yeah, tight end. Seriously. And they like to get him involved. And Bean especially likes to go to him. Yeah. Uh, they, they've got guys. And this is this is not unique to KU. Um, they've, they've had some dudes on the perimeter, but just no ability to get the ball to them due to protection and due to quarterback play. I liked Jason Bean last year. I, I liked some things he did, but now they find, you know, I don't know if Jalen Daniels plays, frankly, uh, I'll say it. I don't know if they they need him to play like it. That may sound crazy, but I, I just don't know if they need him based on the way that offense has continued to progress with Jason Bean. And I, I just think Oklahoma state has another tough challenge in front of them with an offense that can do a lot in a lot of different looks in a variety of different ways i i I don't feel great about it yeah i mean their offense aside from the you know iowa state game which which daniels played in with being you know daniels played most of that tcu game but they put up 31 they put up 42 against ou and then 23 against baylor their defense has been more of their problem but i mean if we want to talk about the differences Bean's more of kind of a straight line, long stride track runner who has a really big arm as well, but he will throw it into coverage. He really trusts his wide receivers and he's just not as elusive. Daniels is more of like a running back who can throw the ball, very elusive, very strong. And he may be more accurate than Bean, but maybe not as big of an arm downfield. So either guy, they're going to run their offense the same way and the, the guys to watch for are Bostic, Grimm if he plays, Fairchild, and Daniels. I think those are kind of their their main key guys on offense. Well, I absolutely think you're spot on. Um, again, I'll go back to I think Oklahoma State's defensive line has another challenge cut out for them. You mentioned counter. We saw how Texas was able to move the ball on them with counter. We Unfortunately, we all saw how K-State was able to do the same. Um, this is a team that can run counter effectively. And so um, I, I don't get the warm and fuzzies there. I feel really negative. I need, I need, I need something good to say. Well, um, let's, let's flip it to the defense. Yeah. Because that, that's that what would we can be, talk about. That would positives. be great. That's, that's what I was like, like <laughs> lead me to the well, Dustin. Cause I will drink KU's defense is bad. They, they give up a lot on the ground. They give up a lot through the air. It's still a bad defense. I think, yes, this will probably be the worst Big 12 defense they will have faced. Is that too much of a I, I don't hot think, take there? I don't think so at all. 
they're pretty low in all of the kind of advanced metrics on defense. And, you know, I said they do a lot of things in coverage, but really overall they're kind of conventional. It's it's a four down front, whereas in they have two defensive tackles, two kind of more prototypical defensive ends. They don't always have four hands in the ground. Sometimes they'll only have two guys with hands in the ground. They'll stand two guys up. Sometimes they'll have three with one guy standing up. Sometimes they'll all four have hand in the ground. But it's, I would think, more back to kind of like the K-State defenses of old four-man front three linebackers with one is that hawk defensive backer which is a defensive back linebacker hybrid uh like i said they'll do cover three cover two quarters they'll man up the baylor game they played a lot of man the ou game they played a ton of zone um they don't blitz a lot they will mix some in some fire zones they'll do some creepers sim pressure stuff but overall that it's not it's not that wild of a defense it's not like some Baylor defense that they're trying to disguise a lot of things they have some good players but scheme wise and again the defensive coordinator I can't think of his name off the top of my head but he's also been with Leipold since the Buffalo days and everything like that but Kate are you seeing anything different than I'm seeing it's not overly complex defensively no and that's attractive because of what Oklahoma State's been dealing with the last several games with some defenses that do get pretty exotic. I don't think KU has the personnel to try to do that. I don't know if they have the experience. I don't think they have the dudes, um, or the Hawks, as you would like to say. Uh, I don't know if they have the guys to try to get overly exotic on the defensive side of the football. So I think Oklahoma State... You know, the biggest question to me going into this entire football game is the health of Spencer Sanders. We know if he plays, he's not all that healthy. So can they take advantage of that? I'm not so sure. With a healthy Gunner Gundy or Garrett Rangel or a combination of the two, a fairly straightforward defense isn't an unattractive proposal if you're going to throw one of those guys in there, if you're forced to. Yeah. I think you can scheme points on this defense, even if you have to play one of the backup guys, like you I think just you're said. Right. They, they do have some players though. Kate, like if we want to look at the defensive line, Sam Burt and Eddie Wilson, those guys kind of rotate in for each other at more of that nose tackle spot. They're both uh Buffalo or Eddie Wilson's Buffalo transfer. Burt's a former walk on. They're not amazing players, but they're solid. They've got Malcolm Lee at defensive end, Lonnie Phelps, who kind of leads them in sacks and tackles for loss. But really, I think the highlight of their defensive line, he's listed as Malcolm Lee's backup, but Robinson, number 90, I would keep an eye on him. He popped to me on film, and I watched, I think I watched four KU games. Oof. He he popped to me big time. Number 90, Robinson, keep an eye on him. He's a talented player. Linebacker-wise, Craig Young, Rich Miller, Taiwan Berryhill, Rich Miller, solid player. Barry Hill, he's the linebacker. They like to blitz a lot. He plays that weak side linebacker. Miller's more of the middle linebacker. And then the star or hawk player would be Craig Young. Not, not extremely talented guys at linebacker, but watch out for him. I mean, they can make some plays. And then you mentioned Kobe Bryant at corner. He didn't play last game. If he's back, he's kind of their playmaker. He'll get interceptions, but he also can get burned by double moves, which would be a great game to get Braden Johnson back for this game. Uh, OJ Burrows at safety, Melo Dotson at the other corner. And then the highlight of their defensive backfield and maybe their entire defense is safety. Kenny Logan, 
he's a guy you may see on Sundays. Very talented. Loved him in Big 12 media days. He's a very charismatic, funny guy. Um, that's pretty much – that's kind of their standout guys. They had a backup corner, uh, Kalon Gervin, play last game for Bryant. He actually played pretty well. But other than that, I'd focus on Logan, like I said, Robinson, and then probably Rich Miller would be the other guy I'd look at well, there if Kobe Bryant doesn't play. KU's been churning out edge talent for a while. I mean, Dorrance Armstrong oh, yeah. playing in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys and doing really well. This is not new to them. Um, I I think Oklahoma State is going to be able to move the ball. I actually think they may be able to find success on the ground for the first time Whoa. in a while. Whoa. <laughs> Just write it down. I'm going to go. <laughs> I think so too. No, I agree. I'm going to go over, been 90, able to run on them. over 99 and a half total rushing yards uh, for Oklahoma State this week is, is my like hot pick of the week. I think they're going to, I think they'll look better on the ground. The question is to me, can they score enough with an either really banged up Spencer Sanders or Gunnar Gundy to keep up with Kansas, who I think I think the magic number for them in this game, I'm putting it at 35. Like I, I think anything under that, Oklahoma State has a chance. Anything over that, I'm really nervous about. Um, because I just we we haven't seen it. Yeah. I, Kate, I'm honestly, if you are, I'm honestly ready to pick this game. I, I think we kind of laid out the defense. There's not a ton to talk about there because they don't do a ton of exotic stuff. And we we know the key guys because they've been the key guys yeah, for a while all year. So yep. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. And um why why don't you go first? Because I, I may bring bring us down, uh bring the whole show down with us. Okay. I have the spread at Oklahoma State minus two and a half, the over under line at 65 and a half. I think, I, I don't know if Spencer Sanders is going to play, but I think either way you can scheme some things up. I think if Spencer Sanders doesn't play, it's because they want to get Gunnar Gundy involved in the design QB run game. I agree. And they don't think Spencer Sanders is healthy enough for that. I think whoever plays quarterback needs at least eight, nine non-sack designed runs in this game needs to get up around the 50 60 yard mark like we'd always talk about i think defensively if daniels or bean plays the key is going to be kendall daniels savior benson mason cobb making sure what they see is what's actually happening and not falling for the eye candy and the defensive line having a comeback game, which I think they will against this offensive line. I know they're good, but I don't think they're they're world beaters like K-State's is, but they are experienced. I'm going to take Oklahoma State 34, Kansas 31. Wow. Man, it would be a big win. It would be a uh, culture win, as Mike Gundy likes to call it, to go up there with, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it out loud. I don't think Spencer Sanders is playing in this game. I'll just, I'll say that. It's as looking I, like not. Yeah. It's not going to happen. As I say this, just know I'm picking this as if Spencer is not playing. I will say I agree with you. Like Gunnar Gundy has some wheels on him. I do like some of the things he's been able to do. I don't think you're throwing a warm body out there with him. I think they're going to be able to do some things. And with a full week of prep, maybe even more considering that they haven't played a ton in practice with Spencer. Maybe there's something to that in this game. So I could see an outcome where they're able to strike a few times down the field over the middle. I, I like Gunner's accuracy. 
Um, for the most part, I don't know how big his arm is, but I like his accuracy over the middle. I like what he's able to do in the design QB run game. And I also think he's got some improvisational ability to him as well. Had a really nice run. Yeah, he definitely uh, 25 yarder. Uh, yeah, he's he's kind of like a he's a crazy person out there. That um, flip interception was yeah, improv as yeah, well. No question. Big Kate, you, you made some great points. I wanted to throw in before you make your pick. K or KU gives up the quick passing game. And I think that's something quick first reads from Gunner or Sanders could really hurt this KU defense and could open things up for the run game. And I think that's something they look to attack early. Well, I, I love it. Receivers. I love it. I, I love it. I hope that's the case. Um, and, you know, that defense could be susceptible to giving up kind of the off script type of play where it's something underneath missed tackle. Oklahoma State goes long on on a play that really wasn't supposed to go long. So um, I'm not going to let you talk me into it, though, but you really tried your darndest. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go against the pokes here. I'm going to pick KU 34 to 20. I think Oklahoma State does some things well. I think this is a tough spot for a team that's reeling, um, have lost two out of their last three, go up to what will be a a crowd ready for for blood. I mean, a team ready to kind of get the monkey off their back, get to a bowl game. Um, it would be a culture-defining type of win, though, for Oklahoma State, which is crazy going up to Lawrence, Kansas. But I think it would take a an effort like that uh, to win this game. I think this team is bigger than its quarterback, number one. I'll say that. But I, I think this is a bad spot. Yeah, I agree, Kate. I, I don't – I don't like uh... – I'm not mad at you for that pick. I, I understand where you're I think coming it's from. The and first I think time I've, well. I think it's the first time I've ever done that on this podcast. Hey. So it had well, to happen. To, to increase the mood, we got to get to these. We got to get to these audio questions. There's, there's no question the about it. <laughs> Which we might should, bring you back down. Yeah. <laughs> right. As long as they're not all about the K State game. All right. Well, let's get right to it then. Here's one from Hayden. With Kansas State being the absolute tragedy that it was. Do you guys think that this is the most injured team in, I don't know, 15, 20 years? Thanks, guys. Ooh. Gundy actually mentioned on his radio show this week that he didn't say it, but he kind of beat around the bush that this is one of the most injured teams that he has had recently. He basically was saying they don't even do a second team field goal block or or field goal defensive field goal unit or extra point field goal unit because they don't have 10 healthy linemen to throw out there. Oh so my they only gosh. Do the first team. I, and that's, that's wild. And I think also the Bray and Braden Johnson, two guys you thought were going to start at wide receiver, haven't been playing. Now you have Dom Richardson go down, Preston Wilson, Hunter Woodard, your two, your best two offensive linemen coming into the season, most experienced they're down. You know, you you haven't taken as big a toll on defense aside from the Jason Taylor and guys kind of being in and out. But I, I think, Hayden, that's a great call out. I think it's got to be. And I know last year's team had a lot of injuries, but this year has been pretty wild, especially at the kind of the key 
not only positions, but your key most experienced guys. Yeah, I mean, it really starts to feel like it. I mean, the TCU game, treading water. Texas game felt like they were treading water for a while and and win that game with a Herculean effort. And then this game feels like it caught up with them. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. And Hayden, I, I think Mike Gundy kind of even inadvertently said a little bit of that. So, yeah, Dustin, I, I think you make a great point there. And, and Hayden, thank you for the question. I should remind you, that our question and answer uh, portion of the show is brought to you by WT Appraisal, which is the that was premier my fault. commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture real estate and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. Give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. And uh, Andrew, sorry about that. Don't, uh, Don't knock us for it. All right. Here's another question, this time from Ryan. Hey, guys. You mentioned several times about our offense, but I'm not getting to the second level. Is this a strength issue, technique, or just misassignments? And on the D-line, did it look like we were trying to contain Howard and not let him escape the pocket to you know, make him throw and uh, it just didn't work out? Or, or are guys just simply not getting off the box? Thanks. I mean, I'll, I'll answer the first one real quick. I think the answer is yes, plus injuries. You can't talk about the offensive line if you don't talk about injuries right now. Yeah, and both of those are great questions. Thank you for sending them in. I actually thought that Jason Brooks may have done the best job of any lineman this year getting up to the second level. I thought we just had some issues with the backs, and I thought K-State's linebackers played really well, which you alluded to earlier. But in general, I think it's a little bit, just to answer the question, I think it's a little bit of strength and technique, you've got to be strong enough to move the defensive lineman out of the way, even if it's a, I mean, even if it's a double team, it's hard sometimes to move these big guys. And then you've got to be athletic enough to, and take a good enough angle to get to the linebacker. And I just don't think Oklahoma State's offensive linemen have done a good enough job with that. So it's a little bit of technique, athleticism, and strength all mixed in together. And sometimes I think you would rather maybe the athleticism and technique over the strength, but we, we haven't really seen any of it all kind of mixed together yet. And right. on the Will Howard part, I, I think that they were trying to kind of crush rush and contain him, which I don't know if I loved that plan. I feel like I maybe would have tried to come at him a little bit more and they did blitz some, but I, I just don't, I don't think he, I, I did say earlier, he's a better scrambler than I thought, but I still don't think he's in fast enough to have gotten consistently away from that. But yeah, I, I think that was their game plan. So good call out. Well, a cr- crush rush when it doesn't get to the quarterback is a recipe for disaster too. Like, yes, you, you've got to get there if that's the angle that you're going to take. So a, a tough game from the Oklahoma state defensive line. There's no doubt about it. All right. Here's big Lou. Hey guys, Big Lou here. Um, rough week. Not gonna, not gonna be one of those, uh, those quote unquote fans that, 
you know, calls for the heads of every coach and player and whatever. It was a rough week, yes, but loyal and true, baby. What, right. I, what I do want to know is um, the defense specifically. Um, we've been getting just gashed on the run. Is it more of a product like was? Is it just injuries, or um, you know, was it, it, what is it? Just <laughs> do some analysis on you know, is is it just injuries, or you know, what can be done on the defensive side? Is it de- is it interior defensive line that's just not living up to what they're supposed to be doing? Um, would love to kind of get your insights. You're probably going to cover it, but um, you know, everybody, let's calm down. We're still loyal and true. We're still in this. Um, you know, let's let's just stay orange to the bone, as Vintage Gundy would. Oh, Lou cut off. But yes, I think we talked a lot about that on the podcast already. Dustin, I don't know if you had anything else to add. No, Lou, that's a great call. And I think it's a little bit of everything you said. You know, the interior defensive line, they've got to cause more chaos, got to cause more disruption, got to hold the offensive linemen up so they can't get to the second level. Kendall Daniels, Shawn Michael Flanagan, Mason Cobb, and Xavier Benson have to do a better job of fitting on the run, not getting out of their fits. That that goes down to the Leos, too. We see them kind of trying to jump around a little bit at times, fitting the run, and then just all together rallying to the ball and gang tackling so you don't leave these guys one-on-one out in space with a guy like Deuce Vaughn. I, I think all of that combined can lead to that to better rush defense, but we're just going to have to see them, I think, slowly improve on it. I don't think you see it fixed, you know, instantly next game. So I think they can play better, but it's just going to have to be kind of a work in progress. And I know we're halfway through the season, but we've got some really experienced guys, inexperienced guys out there that are just going to have to learn over time. Yeah, and that's partially why I don't love Oklahoma State in this spot going into KU is like KU can run the football and they've ran it on pretty much anybody they've played decently at least at, at, at a bare minimum they've decently ran the football and you take Oklahoma State's inability to defend the run I would expect KU to run it well so yeah there's there's a lot of reasons they haven't played well I think we've we've dissected all of them in, in this game but yet Lou the thing I agree with you most about is that we are still loyal and true uh, I, I think people talking about uh, coaches' heads and jobs and contracts and all of those things is completely out of bounds. I'll just I'll just leave it right at that. Um, yeah. Mike Gundy deserves better than that, and and so does this coaching staff. Yeah, and I, I know we probably sounded really negative on this podcast, but it was kind of the only way to break it down the way we have broken down other games because it was forty eight to zero. What else are you supposed to do? I can. I would love to just come on here and pump, pump sunshine if they would have given us any. I tried with my Jason Brooks and Jabbar Muhammad yeah. positive call out. So uh, that's as much as I could really do this game, though. Yeah. Well, I, I saw it on your face. It was a, a great effort, and you you brought as much sunshine as you had. So uh, a lunch pail guy, as they like to call it. All right. Here's Aaron. Hey guys, uh, not much to say about last weekend. Uh, never seen anything like it, and I pray to God we never see that ever again. My um, question for you all is offensive line. I think it's time for us to really have a tough conversation about that. Um, it seems like we really haven't had a really solid, cohesive, dominant offensive line in, in quite some time now. Um, and I think last year's uh, offensive line was okay. I think Jalen Warren kind of made that squad look a little better than it probably was. Um, is it time for Gunny to have that tough conversation with Dickie? Um, or how much longer do we um, kind of let that ship 
go on. Um, I know Dickie's a good coach and seems like a great um, person, but uh, it seems like uh, our offensive line just isn't developing like it should. Love to get your perspective on it. Have a good one. Yeah, Aaron, that's tough. I mean, I I, I don't disagree with you. The development, um, the execution generally has not been what I think Oklahoma State fans have come to expect and want but quite frankly it's it's not a Charlie Dickey exclusive problem this has been a, a thing since Joe Wickline left Oklahoma State's offensive line play just over the last decade has not been what I think people want it to be and it almost kind of reminds me of like the the conversation of clamoring for Dana Holgerson you know what I mean like everybody wants to get back to those days those days are gone I don't know though if I would draw the line at like right there I, I i do think there is a i don't know if there's a change to be made i certainly think that there's a problem with oklahoma state's health and depth on the offensive line i don't know where you pin that i don't know where where you point that finger whether it's practice whether it's recruiting but there is a depth problem and there is historically an injury problem on that offensive yeah. line, especially recently. And so those are the reasons I would point to maybe the offensive line being poor over the last couple of years. Yeah, Aaron, it's a great question. And Katie, I think you hit on pretty much everything. I mean, I, I think just to Aaron's question about when you have that conversation with Dickie, I would think you would at least go into next year. You know, you've got Jacoby Sanders and some guys that, you know, they've offered some of those Juco guys may come in. You got Tyrone Weber, who's probably going to redshirt this year. Etienne will be back. Some of those guys. But if a bunch of offensive linemen transfer again, like last off season, I think maybe you could have that conversation with Dickie at the end of this year. But other than other than that happening, I think I think you definitely ride into next year because, like you said, there's been so many injuries, and I understand the depth and you know some of the development things that you laid out. But I, I just think that it, you can't blame it all on his coaching when you're having these injuries. So, yeah, no, I I agree, and coaching isn't just like the the end result on the field there's so much else that goes into it it's how do you practice how do you recruit how do you maintain develop uh maintain morale even there's there's a lot there um in that offensive line room right now so it's a great question Aaron I, I appreciate you asking hello there podcast sports fans this is your three and five man with a million dollar plan <laughs> on a little bit of a jog right now. <laughs> uh, just trying to run away from the pain. Don't know about you guys, but didn't wake up this week feeling too loyal and true. More like black and blue because we got the absolute P-I-S-S beat out of us. That's right. P-I-S-S kid show. Didn't say the word piss, but my God, it was. Yeah, my God. But I love punishment. Punish me, bookie, because I'm taking the pokes minus two this week. It's Kansas. It's not Kansas, Kansas, but it's still Kansas. So pokes minus two. Hey, I love it. I'll be with Mr. Fuller in Lawrence this weekend at the game. So if you see us, come say hey. 
uh, he can um, maybe reenact some of these voicemails that he's been doing. Does that fact that you guys are at this game have any bearing on your predictions? Does that, I mean, is that skewing this at all? I mean, if it turns into a your score, we'll probably just head straight to the bars. So. I I have recommendations. I've spent many nights in Lawrence, so I have. Oh yeah, I you have need rec- to send me those. You need I, to send me. I, those. I I sure will. I'll send you those off air. Um, but yeah, avoid the hawk. That's just all I'll say. Um, Fuller, <laughs> I did love that though. That was a great one. Yeah, Fuller, thank you. You can't turn into the three and six man with the million dollar plan is all I'll say. I draw the line at like batting three thirty. I mean, that, that's good in baseball. Not much else. Hey, Dustin, we've got, we've got one. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we have two, we have two just quick Twitter questions real quick. Since we only had, I think four voicemails, we can get to some of these with time. Uh, Glory Cowboy at Gorg Sankar just says, I just have one question. How, <laughs> you know, we, we rewinded it. Either. Rewind it if you're not sure, because I think we laid all out we had. And then Brian Metcalf at Brian J. Metcalf says, with basketball starting up, what are some realistic expectations for the season? Kate, I'm going to throw this over to you. We will start talking basketball slowly but surely back into the podcast with it starting next Monday. Um, But, Kate, I'll throw this over to you for your kind of realistic expectations i'll let you knock this one out of the park well for some uh if if this game goes the way i fear it will on saturday basketball season doesn't start at uh eight o'clock on monday it starts at 3 30 on saturday so let's <laughs> hope that's not the case but i mean does it does it feel like this season crept up on you or what i mean i look down and it's like we've got an exhibition game and then you got ut arlington on monday night in gallagher i at eight o'clock and it it's here. I'll say this. You asked me for my my realistic expectation, quote unquote. I think that's actually a direct quote. So I'll go with that. I, I think this is going to be a better basketball team. Um, I think the lack of anything to play for and the lack of shooting on last year's roster really started to show its ugly head. I, I think based on what was said in the media today, there wasn't an official uh, you know starting lineup thrown out there, but Mike Boynton talked about the starting five. You and I have talked about this. Right now, it appears as though Avery Anderson is at the two with John Michael Wright at the one, Bryce Thompson at the three, uh, Musa Cisse at the five, and Caleb Boone at the four. So this is going to be another lengthy, athletic, roster and the biggest question i have is do they have the shooting do they have the production on plays that are not there um i will say i've been clamoring for avery off the ball the roster last year demanded it so it's it's not a coaching thing to me they didn't have anybody outside of him to handle the ball i think this team is better served with him off the ball can penetrate can get the defense moving one way kick it to Thompson, kick it to somebody else who can shoot. I'll tell you one guy real quick, just a kind of name to 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 have in your back pocket as you go into Gallagher-Ibaugh on Monday. It's Caleb Asbury. Not a lot of talk about him in the offseason, but is a guy that at Texas State was all sunbelt, averaged you know, 16, 17 points a game last year, is one of those transfer portal impact guys that kind of flies under the radar that I think – by the by the time the end of the season rolls around is the first guy off the bench. I don't know if it's the way the season starts, 
but I, I would expect that he is a guy that Oklahoma State fans really come to enjoy watching play. When I look at him, I think Rondell with maybe more ath- athleticism, uh, maybe maybe not more athleticism, maybe more offensive savvy. Let's let's call it that. Um, and so I think this team's going to be better. I do think they'll make it back to the NCAA tournament. The question is, can they win some games? And uh, they're going to need to because I think they've got some recruits that really would like to see them win some games. Yeah, I I love it. I love the Asbury call out. It would be awesome if he could kind of fill Rondell's role and maybe give it a little more there. Love the starting lineup. I'm pumped to see John Michael Wright. Me too. Maybe in that point guard spot is what we've heard. So. I love that breakdown, Cade, and we will start adding some basketball in, and it should be a good time, and we'll definitely be at some games this year. That's right. That's right. Hopefully not too soon, though. We, we've got yes. I, I, we've got a lot riding on this game in KU. Let's just take it one game at a time, but yeah. <laughs> and I will say this. One last thing on basketball. The non-conference slate this year, a little bit lackluster compared to previous years. You know, The notable marquee games are going to be UCF, Connecticut, Virginia Tech, Wichita State. I absolutely love it. I, I I will miss playing the, you know, the occasional North Carolina or a Villanova or a Purdue or somebody like that. But in this league, you don't have to play those games. You're going to get as tested as you want in Big 12 play night in and night out. I love the adaptation from Mike Boynton, and it's going to pay dividends if they can go win eight games in Big 12 play, which is still the magic number. So, I'll take the you want my official prediction because we won't be able to talk about uh we'll talk about a game on on Tuesday. I will take the over. I think Oklahoma State's gonna win, win more than eight big 12 games. I love it. I love that. Okay. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Dustin, we'll put last week in Manhattan behind us. Let's move on to Lawrence. I hope you guys have a phenomenal time. Lawrence is a great college town, absolutely beautiful this time of year. You might bring that home field hoodie. It gets a little chilly this time. So <laughs> Yeah, we're pumped to be there. Hopefully we get a Pokes victory. And yeah, like always, kid, go Pokes. That's right. Go Pokes. We'll see you guys back here next week. We'll talk to you then. Go Pokes.